Hi, this is Mark Wallstrom, and welcome to another edition of Speaking of Justice, a featured audio podcast brought to you every single week by the Legal Broadcast Network. Uh, Legal Broadcast Network is one of the nation's premier broadcasting and media and commentary platforms for lawyers and people all over the United States and even over the world. So, speaking of justice, uh, this week we have got a great guest, Attorney Mark Zaid, uh, Washington, D.C., one of the nation's leading experts on the issues surrounding the handling of classified information and classified documents. So I think you know where we're going with this podcast. We are going to be discussing Secretary Clinton uh, and presidential candidate Clinton and this whole controversy around her email server. You know, there's a lot of politics played, a lot of information that gets bandied about people trying to score points on it or defending it. Uh, what, what we like to do on the broadcast is take it right down the middle, bring in an expert and discuss what the facts are, what the law says, and what actually is going on here, what we can expect in the way of possible legal action or not, or, or no legal action. So without any further ado, I will uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll uh, be joined on the phone by attorney Mark Zaid. Okay, well, joining us on the phone right now is attorney Mark Zaid. Uh, he is a foremost expert in uh, the defense of federal employees, defense contractors, members of active duty military journalists, everybody who is working in and around uh, national security has national security clearances. It's a fascinating uh, area of the law. As we mentioned, he was on uh, Fox the other day and discussing the issue of the uh, the issue that won't go away, which is the email controversy, uh, the private server, and the matter of classified or non-classified documents. So he's here to sort it all out for us. Mark, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Well, let's let's uh, not presume any knowledge here. And as we discussed offline a little bit, you know, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and confusion on this. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you specialize in a unique area of the law. Can you m- just kind of tell us what that area is first, just to make sure I've I've properly characterized what, where you practice and what your specialty is? Sure. So I'm based out of Washington D.C., though my practice can be anywhere in the world. And at its core, I'm, I'm a federal employment lawyer, mm-hmm. but it, it's very unique in the venue of employment law because I deal primarily within the intelligence community or classified environment. So my typical client would be either an employee or a defense contractor for one of the three-letter agencies, CIA, DIA, NSA, NRO, NGA, agencies that many people around the country have never even heard of. Uh, Or it could be law enforcement, FBI, or military, as you said. Mm -hmm. And it, it could range from are there are covert intelligence officers involved with an operation that's gone bad and no one ever hears about it, but it's an internal investigation, perhaps criminal, perhaps administrative or disciplinary action, or it could be a denial or suspension or revocation of a security clearance for something very common. Someone got a DUI and they happen to work at the National Geospatial Agency, and so they face loss of their clearance, or it could be any type of investigation. So I run the gamut as an employment lawyer, but it's unique in the sense of who my typical client is, and mm-hmm. these are people that sometimes I can't tell you their names. Right, right. Well, a fascinating area, absolutely. And so, so just for the benefit of our audience, uh, give us a kind of a brief synopsis of 
uh, as we kind of transition into where we're going with today's conversation, which is about the, the Clinton email uh, issue and what's going on there. But give us a brief synopsis of kind of what, what is the governing law or act or regulations that dictate how the State Department in particular or other branches of the government are, are required to handle classified information? I mean, what, 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 are they, what are they accountable to here? Sure. And I should add as I segue into that, so I have a security clearance myself. I've had up to what's called TSSCI or Top Secret slash sensitive compartmented information. That's some of the highest levels of, mm. of classified information that might be involved. And I do also, outside of what I said before, I do a lot of work just in dealing with classified documents, particularly in trying to get them declassified and released through Freedom of Information Act lawsuits, particularly for journalists. So the governing policy for how to handle classified information is, is a federal policy. It is Usually, it is set forth by executive order and administrative regulations within agencies. Mm-hmm. So it's not statutory. This is a big debate at times between the branches of the government and who has the authority. So there are certain things that come from a statutory standpoint, like the Freedom of Information Act, which governs uh, certain exemptions. So there's an exemption, for example, for classified information. Mm-hmm. But what determines or who determines what classified information might be is set by policy through the executive branch, not the legislative branch. So the President of the United States, uh, in this case, the original particular order came from President Clinton back in 1995. President Bush amended it slightly. President Obama amended it slightly. But it's basically, for the most part, been the same thing for the last 20 plus years. And that sets forth what type of information is classified and certain parameters as to how it is to be handled. Then in every agency, there are policy guidelines that are issued. Now we also have the ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, who is the primary agent for setting these type of policies. There's an office called ISU, Information Security Oversight Office, that is through the National Archives that sets also classification policies for the U.S. government. And so each agency will implement policies that will govern how its systems are to be operated, what you can, can't do. Uh, could you print a classified document? Could you upload a classified document to a different system? So those will go agency to agency. And many of these regulations people could find, like Defense Department regs and directives and policies. You can go online, Google them, find them. But then you have some of the intelligence agencies, CIA, DIA. Those regulations are often classified because they refer to specific offices or components and things like that or systems. And so you wouldn't be able to see those. But it is a very, for the most part, very standard policies. So when we get into some of the details with Secretary Clinton, the non-disclosure agreement that she signed as the Secretary of State mm-hmm. is the same one I signed right. as, as a private lawyer. The same obligations exist on me that exist on her, no, you know, no matter what different levels we are at a policy level. Now, that may come into play. Obviously, she has certain authorities that I do not as a private lawyer. She could, as Secretary, declassify certain information. But which information? And that's very relevant to this dispute, in fact. 
because it's not State Department information that's at issue. It's actually other agencies' equities. I see. That's and that's an interesting point. So, so given the background, sort of on that whole legal and administrative authority and some of the overlapping stuff and some of the stuff that's standard. Uh, I think that you know the big question that most people would want to know is where would the use of a private email server. And what we're coming to find out were, if, if not classified documents that were either stored on the server, it may be, you know, communication discussing classified issues back and forth. Uh, you know, I, I think we can all agree that's probably not typical. <laughs> but, but, but how bad is this in the context of law and standard behavior in the intelligence community? Right. I mean, give us, yeah. So there are two very, very distinct issues that are at play here that many people, including Secretary Clinton at times, have merged inappropriately into one. Mm -hmm. And of course, much of the controversy surrounding the email controversy or scandal, I should say, not to use the same word, is is partisan. So I I do not come, I'm not partisan, I'm a registered independent, always have been, I represent Mm -hmm. Democratic congressmen, Republican congressmen, people on both sides. I just, I just go by what the laws and the policies. Sure. So there's one issue first with setting up this private email server that former Secretary Clinton and her senior staff did at their house that was run outside of the State Department by private companies for which she conducted official State Department business as well as her senior staff making use of it. Okay. That is unprecedented. Now, what you hear from her and her defenders is that actually former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, that they used private email to conduct official business too. And I have no doubt that that is true. In Mm -hmm. fact, most federal employees at some point in time use their personal email for something work-related. And you can come up with any number of scenarios as to why that would happen. They have two phones, and they just happen to have their personal phone easily accessible, so they email off of their personal account. Or they're teleworking, and they're having trouble logging into their agency's uh, computer system from home, so they use personal email. You know, there are actually provisions about doing that. That That's okay. What you're supposed to do is either CC your government account or forward the email to your government account mm-hmm. so that there would be a record of it uh, because there is a law uh, with fed- governing federal records and preservation. Now, no one has ever, to our knowledge, and certainly one would have thought it would have come out by now, ever set up a private server to solely conduct official government business through a private means. Now, that circumvents several laws and policies, and in particular, the Freedom of Information Act, because the State Department has no idea what is going on, uh, unless she's communicating with the State Department, which she did at times. And, And one of the questions that has not been focused on by much in the media uh, is what did the State Department know and when and why didn't they do something about it? Yeah. I mean, it, well, there's some emails that have now come out where it looks at at least some senior State Department officials n- knew what was going on and were talking to her senior staff, not necessarily to her. We don't know because we only, you know, we only know what we know. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, look, you really need to also set up a .gov email address 
for so that we can keep track of things and the response was it could be interpreted at least that no we don't want to do that because then it would be subject to the freedom of information act wow that, that's a horrible response from a government official obviously yeah. <laughs> uh, and maybe there's an explanation to put that in a different context but that's at least how the email can be interpreted and we we obviously haven't heard from the senior, from Cheryl Mills, former chief of staff, Huma Abedin, and some of the other senior people who were using the uh, this private server, because none of them have have given comments. So, so yeah. we don't know. So, yes, it was completely unusual. It was poor judgment, but that is completely separate and apart from the issue about the use of classified information or inclusion of classified information on the unclassified server. Okay. No one can ever incorporate classified information onto an unclassified system. I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah. It's against the law, certainly negligent, you know, subject to administrative discipline, etc. Right. And even when the counter-argument is, well, Colin Powell had this private email, used private emails, Condoleezza Rice, there's no allegation that they ever used it for purposes of communicating classified information. Right. So two different subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may be able to forgive her on the use of the private server. It's a very poor judgment decision. I think anyone who works within the government or is close to it will go, are you, are you kidding me? Why, why would you have allowed that? But there might not have been a specific prohibition of doing so. Yeah. And I'm not aware of any allegation that she deliberately was placing classified information into the system on an unclassified server. Clearly she knows she can't do that, and her staff presumably knows she can't do that. So you need to, one, totally separate in Chinese wall those two issues off. Mm -hmm. And to her detriment, she still fails to do that, which I don't understand, because she's obviously an incredibly bright woman and has a vast amount of experience dating back to, you know, working on the Watergate uh, yeah. commission back uh, in the early 70s when she was a staff counsel uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Congress. So I, I don't get it. I mean, as recently as Sunday on ABC with George Stephanopoulos, who was obviously a former staff member of yeah. her husband's in the first administration, you know, she was still conflating the two issues. And so she's she's hurting herself from a public relations standpoint and a legal standpoint because she's she's confusing the issues. Yeah. Well, it, it, so, so now given that background, um, which is it, you know again it's tremendously helpful and I think it really uh, drills down to some of the questions people have as well as you know seeing through uh, these responses uh, where the where the error is or where you know you're really talking apples and oranges, but. Let's, let's kind of talk, you know, we got an active FBI investigation going on, and presumably at some point they're going to turn this over to the Justice Department. Uh, you know, why, again, let's just put, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton in the same role as any other military or intelligence officer here and say, all right, why should the Justice Department care about this and what would be happening if everybody was blind as to the person involved, if this was a low-level or military officer who did the same thing, what what would be the process if an FBI investigation occurred? They turned this over to the Department of Justice uh, with the information, assuming the the, uh, the slow drip of information we're getting. Uh, what what would be the next steps? And I mean, how would this typically be handled? 
So there's a variety of ways in which, one, this information comes to the knowledge of the government, and then two, what do they end up doing about it? Mm-hmm. This happens actually pretty frequently that classified information inadvertently is disclosed in some venue, whether it's verbally, uh, in, a, in a written document that's disseminated, or through electronic means like email. Several times a year, at least, I am inadvertently sent, on, and I only have an unclassified email system like anybody else, mm-hmm. I'm inadvertently sent classified information by the government in one of my cases. They, they do it all the time. Yeah. And nobody gets criminally investigated or prosecuted. It, it is a security violation on their end, not, not on mine. They ask me to delete the information from my computer, and I comply. There have been times where I have revealed to them that you inadvertently sent us classified information, by the way. What mm-hmm. do you want us to do? Because we have an obligation, anyone who holds a security clearance, not just morally, but legally and contractually by the documents we sign, that we're supposed to protect any classified information and reveal if we see a security transgression. So the other thing that's been confused with her specific situation is you'll always hear her and her supporters say in the campaigns, inaccurately say, uh, well, at least inappropriately, I'd say, I'd voice it, Mm -hmm. that we never received or sent any documents marked classified. Right. Of course you didn't, because nobody's accusing you of having done that, and you all know better than, than that because you're using an unclassified system. Of course you're not sending a classified document that's properly marked. What the allegations are is that they incorporated classified information that they learned verbally or read in documentation mm-hmm. and placed that into the unclassified System And the example I always go is, if you read in a properly marked classified document, the brown cow jumped over the moon, and you then typed it into an email on your unclassified server, now there's no markings on this email, it it doesn't mean that that sentence is no longer classified. It's still a classified sentence, and you have now created a security violation. Now, you've also violated criminal laws. Mm -hmm. But, of course, you know, people violate criminal laws every single day and you're not prosecuted for it. You know, you right. you run a red light, you may just get a ticket or you may have nothing happen or, you, you know, you're speeding past a police officer and they may not do anything for a variety of reasons. Sure. So it varies significantly. Now, I've had many, many clients over the years who have mishandled classified information. They've stored it at home. They've transmitted it. They have miscouriered it by leaving it in their car while they went to get a hamburger and McDonald's. That was a case. Uh, And sometimes they have been prosecuted. Most times it's an administrative proceeding for revocation or denial of their security clearance or suspension or disciplinary action. Now, in this case, there has been a battle over first, is there classified information on the server? Uh, and as I alluded to before, the battle is not that the State Department says that, but that other agencies like the CIA and the and with the, and other agencies with the intelligence community say that's our information. We control it. It belongs to us. State Department actually has no say in it, mm-hmm. and you have it in your documentation. 
and they have, in the review process, have classified uh, over, what, 1,500 documents, or at least information within 1,500 documents, could be one word in, you know, a 10-page document, perhaps, uh, as up to top secret, and now we've heard the word SAP, S-A-P, Special Access Programs. That is a specialized compartment at, at the highest levels. It, it could be at the secret level, could be at the top secret level. Uh, it, it varies. And that this would be a compromise. Yeah. And there is language within the statutes that criminalize the mishandling of classified information that gross negligence could be a criminal offense. So it doesn't have to be that they intentionally did it, deliberately did it. Mm-hmm. It could be that they did it so often and with complete disregard to common sense, basically, that they could be conceivably prosecuted. In fact, it's against the law to possess, without authorization, classified information. Uh, In fact, that applies to anyone, even without a clearance. Mm -hmm. You could have the book, for example, No Easy Day, and I actually represent the the Navy SEAL, who, or I'm his expert witness in a case involving his book. Uh, you can have a possession of that book, and the government's claim is that there's classified information in the book. Theoretically, you're an unauthorized possession of classified information. Of course, the government's not going to prosecute you. Journalists are not prosecuted for possessing illegally classified information. But we're talking about the former Secretary of State and senior staff members who have potentially brazenly violated, uh, if not in you know, intentionally, but with negligence, maybe even gross negligence, the inclusion of this classified information. So it's turned over uh, internally to the State Department. It goes over to the FBI to investigate. And we haven't heard much about the investigation to date, but uh, clearly the agents and others are going through all the documents and giving it to the different agencies to identify for them which information, if any, is classified in these documents, what compartments it belongs to, and then what needs to be determined, and this is what I have not seen yet and why I get frustrated with the pundits on the right saying she's absolutely going to be indicted, or the pundits on the left saying, oh, she absolutely didn't do anything wrong, is that we don't know the context of how the emails originated, the contents of them, Uh, and how the responses went back and forth. And I should highlight, we're not just talking about Secretary Clinton, which is the other thing that gets caught up in this partisanship. We're, at at least at this stage, I think the potential liability slash culpability is far greater for her senior staff members than it is for her. That's a good point. And we would, in fact, most of what we've heard is that the emails originated from all of them sent to her and that oftentimes she didn't necessarily respond. Now, we don't know the whole story, so I, I can't elaborate on really the level of culpability. We can only base it on what we've heard so far. Yeah. So as we look at it, I need to know, for example, the rumors in the press is that some of the classified information pertains to CIA drone strikes. Now, everybody and their mother knows the CIA is conducting drone strikes in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Yemen, etc. Right. But 
while the officially the U.S. government has acknowledged up to the President of the United States that we conduct drone strikes, they never use the word the CIA as the entity that's doing the drone strikes. Okay. That is considered, according to sources, classified. So if what we're talking about in these documents is one of her senior staff sends an email to her and says, by the way, there was a drone strike yesterday in Pakistan. In fact, it's in the New York Times. That might not be classified. But if it says, oh, there was a CIA drone strike in Pakistan yesterday, the CIA would classify that because it referenced them. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's what we're talking about, I think a lot of people are going to shake their head and, and say, give me a break. Right, okay. Right. Uh, you know, this, this is getting a little bit absurd. It, yes, it's, it's, it's a violation because the Secretary of State can't tell the CIA not to classify their own information, that she could argue it, or he or she, but it's up to the equity holder. Mm -hmm. But if what we're talking about is uh, some sort of substantive discussion about CIA drone strikes and how it's impacting foreign relations and diplomacy with Pakistan, then it starts to get into a, a different kind of ball game here that we, but we need to know that information and we don't at this stage so at some point in time the fbi will will complete its package its investigation presumably you know, like i said it's looking at the information mm -hmm. it'll interview those who sent the information and those who received the information and and start to get their mindset what did you know were you waved into that sap program so did you know that was classified at the time why did you send the email? Yeah. When you saw the email, what did you say? What did you do? Did you tell them, no, send it anymore, delete it? You know, we don't know any of this. Right. And that will come into the decision-making finally when it goes up to the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney's offices as to whether or not there would actually be a grand jury, indictment, charges, whatever. Uh, and we're not there yet. Right, right. So, all right, so... Let's let's kind of pop onto the next question, which is, so what's the risk uh, here? So it, big picture, if the Justice Department gets the information and it's the kind of information you were just talking about, you know, kind of technically classified but commonly known, you know, where's the real harm? You know, the the Justice Department always has discretion on what they want to prosecute or not, but this is a huge political issue as we know. Uh, but if they don't prosecute her. Uh, does, do you think this is, and, and again, I know we have to qualify it by what actually is in the evidence, what they find out, uh, or if they don't prosecute or staff or they don't, you know, there isn't some referral on that. Does this send a message to others in the diplomatic or clandestine or military communities or even the legal community that there's one set of rules for people at the top, another set of rules for everyone else, or, or, or as we were just talking in the, in the last segment, uh, it really it, it depends on what is on the the server and what evidence the FBI finds. Of course, it, you know it always depends. But let's let's say they identify that yes, there's clear classified information, and and it's not something like the example that I gave where you just would shake your head and go, "Give me a break." But actually, okay, this is legitimate. That should never have been there, and the sender and maybe recipient also knew it shouldn't have been in there yeah. or should have known, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the legal standards we use. And that, so certainly there's a, a potentially criminally prosecutable offense here. So the message without a doubt we do see all the time is rank has its privileges, right. as we say. 
And yes, I do see lower ranking people, you know, GS 13s, 14s, 15s, or lower ranking military individuals who get punished far more severely than we see senior people. There was a front page Washington Post story last Thursday uh, that revealed the director of the Office of uh, National Intelligence, ONI, has not had access to classified information for two years because of an ongoing investigation involving criminality that's been rocking the Navy uh, and is in the press all the time. Yeah. The What was so amazing about that was I get clients all the time who have their clearances suspended and then for a variety of reasons, and then they get suspended from work because they, they are said, you can't do your job. Right. You know, you can't get in the Pentagon without your clearance into this office, what we call a SCIF, Sensitive Compartmented Information mm-hmm. uh, Facility. Uh, so how is this ONI admiral being able to go to work for two years without a security clearance? I mean, the office is of Nas- naval intelligence. Yeah. How do you do <laughs> intelligence without a clearance? Good point. You know, rank has its privileges. Yeah. So the most recent example, of course, was with former General Petraeus, and the for, as he was the former director of the CIA, and he was prosecuted, which was unusual, for inappropriately disclosing classified information in violation of the Espionage Act to his mistress, Paula Broadwell, who was mm-hmm. writing his biography, autobiography. And he ended up being... Uh, given two years probation and a hundred thousand dollar fine. Right. Now, I've had clients who have done similar. None, the fact patterns are never identical, but some similar type violations. Some might be not as bad. Others might be worse. And they got jail time. Yeah. Or they, you know, had to plea out to something uh, more harsh. Yeah. Uh, now, there's lots of determinations that go into prosecutorial discretion as to why they make certain decisions. But yeah, you know, the message would be horrible if something is really identified as being criminal uh, and nothing is done to anyone. And it's not just the criminality of it, though, which also has been missed in the debate or discussion. You know, lots of things are happen that okay, maybe violate the criminal statute, but don't necessarily rise to the level of prosecution for a variety of reasons. But that doesn't mean that's all we can do. We can take administrative action, we being the government, administrative action against these individuals and deny them a security clearance or say, we're not going to give you access. So until Hillary Clinton is president of the United States, which at that time, obviously, all rules are thrown to the side. Sure. she doesn't. The CIA does not have to give her access to classified information right now. They could say, "No, we're not going to. We don't trust you." Yeah. Or they could do that to her senior staff. So yeah. I would, I would hope, at a minimum, if the case goes the way it looks, that at least agencies will give some thought to either denying clearances, obviously after due process is applied to these individuals, uh, or at least noting in security files that. You know, there's an issue here. Uh, in fact, I testified before the House Government Reform Committee with Valerie Plame back in, what, 2007, mm. uh, to look into, well, what has the Bush White House done as a result of the leaking of a covert intelligence officer's names yeah. or name? No prosecutions happened other than Scooter Libby, but that was for lying to the FBI uh, and for obstruction of justice, not for revealing classified information. 
and no one got prosecuted, which looks like it was probably the appropriate decision to make from a criminality standpoint. But my testimony was, well, what should have happened to people's security clearances? Yeah. If you knowingly revealed certain information, or even, again, uh, with ne- negligence, should there not have been some sort of action taken against you know X, Y, and Z's security clearances? And that didn't happen, and why? Because yeah. if they had been my client who was you know, a first lieutenant in the Navy, you know, boy, their security clearance definitely would have been under uh, scrutiny. Hey, Mark, this is, uh, it's fascinating. It's one of the most in-depth, precise, uh, detailed conversations I've heard on this as far as a a real explanation. And and hopefully it gives people some perspective on, uh, you strip away the politics. Let's look at what the law is. Let's look what the, the history has been. Look what happens in comparable cases. Uh, and essentially have people wait and see for the evidence and then uh, see how the law is applied. Uh, a- any final thoughts before we, we close up here today as far as where you think this is going and what, you know, if you had to speculate? Well, one of the other key things that has not received a great deal of publicity and is incredibly important, and and what it does is, is it does cast a concern of judgment with respect to Hillary Clinton and her senior staff. She's been very critical, and her campaign has been very critical of the work that the State Department's Inspector General has been doing. And this is an independent individual. In fact, during most, if not all, of her tenure, she didn't have an Inspector General, which was one of the most disgraceful situations. The State Department went five years without an independent watchdog because she failed to appoint one. And then finally one has been appointed, and the individual's been in the office there for two or three years or so. And the campaign is criticizing him for doing his job. He's not a partisan. I don't know him at all. But that position is not a partisan, other than it's obviously an appointed position uh, by a political administration, but it is a nonpartisan position. And they're looking into, is the information classified or not? Uh, and they're making determinations, and they're not some of the determinations that, frankly, the Clinton campaign wants to see. But you, you don't criticize the, the people for doing their job, especially an important job like that. Now, it's hard to say where this is going because there's still so much that we need to know. And, and obviously, a lot of it's being driven by the partisanship. We saw Tom DeLay the other day actually being quoted as saying he has an unnamed FBI source who's telling him Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, about to be indicted. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you have that. I mean, I, I don't believe that for, for a second. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then again, you have on the flip side, people fervently denying that she's done anything wrong. And what I usually see in my world, in my job, inside the beltway, as we say, mm-hmm. is the truth is usually in the middle. And, and that's what we're trying to get at. And there's still a lot more facts that need to come out. I think without a doubt, there's serious judgment issues that have been uh, exercised with great fault by the former secretary and her senior staff. And that needs to be taken into consideration by people uh, as they decide what they're going to do going forward. And then we have to see what happens on the criminality standpoint, Mm -hmm. uh, which we don't know yet. And I and I'm exercising, uh, you know, my my judgment to refrain from saying what I think is going to happen because I have no idea because right. I haven't seen enough of the information. 
I, I just see that the Clinton campaign is handling this horrendously from a PR standpoint, uh, at least from the law. Right. Uh, it may be doing well partisan-wise at their base, and the right is launching down a path that is just inaccurate. And the thing I say to all of them usually is, you know, be careful what you wish for, because in this town, you know, government changes inevitably, and you're about to be in power at some point in the future, and you're going to be doing the same thing. So, you know, you got to be careful with what you're accusing someone else of doing or what they have might have violated and how they should be punished when you may be facing the same music a little bit down the line. So the 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 determination's not there yet, but I, but there is smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Whether there's fire, we'll see, but there is definite legitimate smoke. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mark, this has been a really great uh, conversation. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, you know, love to have you back again as this Anytime. story percolates through. And just appreciate you taking the, this amount of time to really break it down and discuss it. I know our audience uh, is going to enjoy this. And I, I expect over the next weeks and months, uh, you know, hopefully people will be referring back to this to actually get the facts on how this works. And uh, also, you know, for those uh, people who are in the community or looking for representation, uh, you know, we will always have a link to our guests, uh, their law firm, uh, you know, uh, if you, if you need to attack, uh, not attack, that's good. <laughs> contact <laughs> attorney's aid. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have his contact information here. You'll be able to talk with him and uh, reach him and uh, discuss your own case. If something does come up, Mark, thanks again. My pleasure. Okay, hey, this is Mark Wallstrom again. I really hope you enjoyed that segment. Uh, I think Attorney's Aid did a tremendous job. Uh, this is going to be, I think, a very popular podcast. A little longer than we usually go, but this is a topic that really requires some detail, some drilling down, and he was extremely generous in his time and explaining how this works. Uh, a lot of people, you know, would contend don't want to know how it works. They've got their mind made up before they get the facts or even learn what's going on. But if you're one of those people who likes to actually learn the law, uh, what are the rules, uh, what, what is, you know, potentially coming down the pike, I think this will really get you grounded on what is actually happening here, what has happened, uh, where Secretary Clinton is at risk, and what the next steps may be. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We've got some more guests uh, lined up all this month. And uh, as we always remind people, if you have a attorney you know who is uh, an expert in an area, if there's a hot topic, just contact our office. Uh, it's mark at sequencemg.com. Uh, just go to Legal Broadcast Network. You can send us a message. We're on Facebook. By the way, like our Speaking of Justice page. That way this stuff gets delivered right into your uh, social media account on Facebook as soon as we publish it. We are everywhere. SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, just about any place that you can look for audio, uh, you will find Speaking of Justice. So subscribe, join us, get in the conversation, and we will talk to you again next week. This is Mark Wallstrom, and have a great week. 